Irish Gerontological Society podcast. And my name is Idel McDade. I am the HSCP rep on the IGS committee. And today our episode features another one of our committee members, uh, Deirdre Lang. Welcome, Deirdre. Hi, Adele. Thanks for having me. And I suppose we decided to talk to Deirdre today because she's quite the leader in older persons care in Ireland. And she's got a few things, including the National Frailty Education Programme, another initiative that we think could be really interesting for whoever listens to this podcast. So just to get us started, Deirdre, you are our nursing representative on the executive committee. What got you involved or what made you want to be part of the IGS in that way? Yeah, well, I work uh, on a national basis. And so I interact across the country with uh, people working in older person services. Um, and But I don't ha- generally have a, a place where I can go meet them. So the IGS scientific meeting and IGS meetings um, that we do as part of the IGS executive are really key to that, to hear what's going on, to being, you know, getting your finger on the pulse and ensuring that you're up to speed with what developments people are doing and are able to connect with people, bounce off your tribe, if you like, um, in relationship to your thoughts or research you've heard about and hearing what other people are doing. And it really just keeps me energized because a lot of work can get quite stale and dead unless you're talking to Mm -hmm. people who are passionate about the area and everybody who's on the IGS or who is involved in the IGS in any way are definitely very passionate people. So, yeah, it keeps me motivated and it keeps me energized to be part of it. Yeah. And likewise, I know you mentioned the annual scientific meeting. So it's in Galway this year. I think it's September Mm -hmm. 28th whatever the last Friday and Saturday of the September is. And I suppose just thinking last year, it was a real buzz of a event, like the general chit-chat and enthusiasm. Things are running over because everyone was just chatting and catching up with each other. Uh, so I suppose is that something you'd recommend if someone hasn't been before to one of oh, our ASPs? Yeah, absolutely. And not to be intimidated either, because, I mean, you hear that the IGS is full of just geriatricians and mm-hmm. there are some really, really powerful and renowned geriatricians um in, in in your company but they're all you know really nice and everybody's really encouraging and uh, i use the word tribe before and i really do mean that that it's a tribe it's it's your peers no there's no hierarchical um attitudes or behaviors when it comes to the igs you you have downtime together you have chats you get to meet people that you've heard of or that you've maybe quoted in your in your own papers if you've been writing or that you've you know admired Mm-hmm. And then there's people junior to you who are coming along as well. So it's a real family uh, occasion at, at the scientific meeting. Really well worth going to. And the dinner that's between the two days, the dinner that evening is is just, it's a great celebration. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it is. It's good crack. I'm looking forward to it now this year. Um, so you've mentioned you have a national role. Your official title as per... LinkedIn is the director of nursing slash national lead older person services slash clinical integrative programs at the HSC. Would that be an accurate <laughs> caption of your job title? Or yeah, I missed yeah, I try. Yeah, it normally takes me a week to say my title. So I just generally go, I'm a nurse. <laughs> but no, I'm in a very privileged position. Um, um, having fallen in love with the uh, gerontology uh, a few years ago that I'm actually in a position that I can influence the nursing contribution to older person's care and 
be part of the strategic approach and vision and able to influence and advocate on behalf mm -hmm. of my colleagues and of older people because I'm planning on being one. So uh, I always talk about my future older self as well. So I'm doing it for yeah. myself as well as I'm doing it for anybody else. That's a motivator. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm planning on growing old successfully. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's the motto. And what does, so say, a role like that for, say, people who are more clinical or more in roles that are quite typical, like what, what would your average week uh, involve? Well, I'm doing you don't this, have an average week. Yeah, so I don't. And actually, that's really interesting because I, I've been in this role for nine years. And like anything in healthcare, no week is the same. So at the moment, the vision is around the UEC, so urgent emergency care. That's yeah. the next three years and older people are front and central. So um, part of my work is helping the NCAGL, the National Clinical Advisory Group lead, Dean Hearn, um, consultant geriatrician, to... Uh, to achieve the vision from an older person's perspective and from my perspective my passion coming from older persons um, in residential care mm -hmm. means i'm able to use my experience there and also link in with my colleagues so all of the work i do i would refer back to my colleagues who are the experts on the ground and um, any of the projects i work in are from ground up rather than top down mm -hmm. so i'm in a in a, in a wonderful uh, position of being able to get their voices um heard at a national level and been able to ensure that nursing contributes to the developments of any of, any of the uh, strategic vision and um, so is is my job my job is um yeah it's very very diverse very diverse like, i just even know from where i see you pop up like you just don't know where i'd see you turn <laughs> up with something or be involved or on a document or something yeah so before covid i used to say i had an elevator speech um and they i'd say uh, people say what do you do for a living and i'd say i fly a helicopter and that used to catch people just uh, off guard and they go oh do you and i go no <laughs> but this is what i do so i had that little window where they were interested <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I'd be able to then uh, jump in and say, actually, no, I'm uh, able to. Uh, I'm trying to lead on the nursing contribution to older person's care, which, if you started off with, would sound quite boring, wouldn't it? But actually, my job is so not boring. It is. Uh, I get to meet phenomenal people um, mm -hmm. most days, and uh, and yeah, and it's exciting, and it allows me to actually look to the future and and plan stuff. So things that I hear from the ground that aren't right mm -hmm. about about developing those things. So um, one of the things that I lead on is a National Frailty Education Programme. That started from the ground because yeah. we'd done some work with the emergency medicine and acute medicine programmes and asked them about, I got to put three questions into a survey they were doing to develop the education programmes for both of those services um, from a nursing perspective. And we asked nurses working in both emergency medicine and acute medicine, if they had had access to CGA education, frailty and cognitive assessment, and they hadn't. And that yeah. was fine in itself, but what worried me was the fact they felt they didn't need to have it because we asked a second question, do you need to have this education? So I realized that people don't understand frailty. We assume they do. So that's where the frailty education program came from. So mm -hmm. it came from knowing that there was a gap that needed to be filled um, at, at um, practice level. Yeah. Um, and making the developing a program to try and meet their needs there. Yeah. So everything links back to very real life, practical things. That's been my experience of watching any of your work and moves. It's all very practical to the average person in the average setting nationally. 
Like, yeah, if I was ever to write a document that sat on a shelf, I'd feel a failure. No. Yeah, there's no, enough so, documents on shelves. No, we don't do documents on shelves. I, we we just it's you know we can't we just can't we don't have time to do that because older person older people are suffering every day in the mm-hmm. service because they don't get access to the right treatment at the right time in the right place and we talk about that as that our that's our mantra. But yeah. are we are we there yet? As the donkey would say, no, we're not. And uh, you know anything I can do to influence that is um is what drives yeah. me. And we're actually, I have a nod to myself to come back to the frailty education program in a minute. Uh, but I just thought we'd take it back to basics or I suppose looking backwards. Do you remember, like say I'm a physio, I have a general sense of what point in my career I realize I just love older people and they're the people I want to talk to every day and be passionate about. And obviously you ooze a lot of passion for aging and older people. Do you remember at what point in your career or was there a moment or was it personal, was it professional and you thought this is my thing and I'm going to go to war with this group? Yeah, so this is a personal experience that I had. I was, uh, we were living in Dublin and we decided to move to Wexford. My husband had hurt his back as a, as a healthcare assistant, so he wasn't working. So I had to get a full time permanent job if I was going to leave Dublin. So I commuted for a year, came down and there was a CNM2 job in the older person services in Wexford. Mm-hmm. And it was never anything I ever thought I was going to be doing because I had been working in an NMPD. So mm-hmm. I've been working on policy and uh, overseas recruitment, but needs must. So took a job as a CNM2 in um, residential. And parallel to that, my father-in-law had um, Lewy body dementia. I was in a residential care setting and this is pre-COVID mm-hmm. and his care was abysmal and he actually died from a perforated bowel due to constipation. And it was a terrible death and it was a terrible time for us. And um, Sorry hear that, 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 that was the, 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 the turning point where I thought mm-hmm. this is never going to happen again on my watch. So, yeah, so worked in residential care, went from CNM up to Aidan, up to Don, and then this uh, went and worked in the private sector as well for a while. And then this job came up and I knew this is my opportunity to be able to really influence change. And so that passion hasn't left me like feeling like we let him down. I was never going to let that happen again. And I suppose this is my legacy for him is that mm-hmm. uh, if I can change anything for the better, I will. So, yeah. And so my own dad has um, dementia. And he's been really well cared for, but I've seen both sides of him ha- having poor care and now having phenomenal care. Um, yeah. So I, I know what the good and the bad is. And uh, so, yeah, that's the, they were the, the two big, big moments that I thought, no, I'm going to make a difference. Yeah, it is always those kind of personal yeah. things that really drive you on a probably in a long day and a long week. Yeah. Um, and as the, well, I just had a quick glance earlier today. You have a huge kind of following or a presence nationally, internationally. So you have about six and a half thousand Twitter followers. I didn't check your LinkedIn. Uh, and I suppose anyone who's anyone in my circles would know who you are and has seen you speak and you've, you've just been very influential. Two of the big things I've associated with you in the last couple of years is the get up, get dressed, get moving. Or as I heard it called recently, dressed to impress by a consultant, which I thought was a new take mm-hmm, on it. That's a nice one, yeah. 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 And of course, we touched on the National Frailty Education Programme. And I suppose you can see the two, the theme in general about 
trying to counteract, prevent, mitigate frailty and I suppose to get up, get dressed, get moving is all in the hospital choir deconditioning aspect of thing. Mm. And the National Frailty Education Programme, as you said, it's bringing frailty to everyone, not yeah. just the already converted. Um, I suppose, again, I'm going to guess what inspired them, but do you remember kind of the origins of those two movements? And we touched on the frailty one already. Um, so, yeah, Get Up, Get Dressed, Get Moving came out of, I suppose, and, and this is another beautiful element to my role, is that I get to meet the whole multidisciplinary team and to hear. So I call myself an honorary dietitian now because the National Frailty Education Programme initially didn't have a nutritional element in it. So the dietitians mm-hmm. took me aside, uh, beat me to a pulp and, uh, and no, they didn't say it. <laughs> they, they very well articulated to me the yeah. evidence that was required to have them. Um, the, the the nutritional element to it and in the same way physiotherapists and occupational therapists would have have made me realize that there's much more to to just frailty education there has to be practice so there has to be uh, quality improvement initiatives that come out of it and I suppose we had um, been linking in with Brian Dolan and then PJ Paralysis and um, looking at that and set up a working group and people wanted to change the the connotation from the end PJ paralysis to something positive. So mm-hmm. the get up, get dressed, get moving was was uh, born out of that. And we've had a national challenge um two years ago, um just after COVID. So I hope to to do more on that in, in the future. And uh, once the UEC stuff is is um, slowed down and we get some time to do once what we want to do. Our BDs here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it is so important to. I mean, that sick role. I mean, I just yeah. many times you've you've been feeling unwell yourself, stayed in your pajamas, and if you had a shower, got up, got dressed, and went out for a little walk just around the house, even when you're not been feeling a hundred percent, you do feel better for it. So. Literally today, I seen a man in what in my day job, and I had seen him twice in an acute hospital. He only got here yesterday, and I nearly didn't recognize him. Yeah. He's dressed. He looks the business, and I went over to compliment of how great he looks. And it's the same every time I see patients go from acute to rehab. It just transforms, and even yeah. how they carry themselves, and it's such a simple thing. But it's, it's even how it's even how the power dynamic about how we see them as equals versus someone in their pajamas is someone that we do something to. Um, and yeah. that, that there's a, a the power dynamic shifts when someone is dressed. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And as was the National Frailty Education Programme, um, I'm proudly a facilitator of recent times. Uh, so for anyone listening, you can do it online on HSC land. And then there are kind of clusters of facilitators in each hospital group. Seems to be fairly dispersed nationally. Yeah. So we've, yeah. so we've 25 networks. I call them the evangelists, the church of frailty, uh, because they really do get it and they really do know the reason that and are so passionate. So they don't just deliver a dry education program, mm-hmm. they deliver an interactive session and people hear from the nurse hears from the physio and the community and the public health nurse hears from the residential care setting that they mightn't have ever interacted with before. And pharmacists hear from others and mm-hmm. people hear from pharmacists. So um, there's great learning from the team, never mind just about the concept of frailty, but putting the whole of the modules together. So there's eight modules and they, they represent how frailty presents. Mm-hmm. And someone who's living with frailty would present so delirium or incontinence or polypharmacy or whatever. Um, but bringing them together makes sense. 
Mm -hmm. So it's not just that someone's falling because you just don't fall. That's just not a thing. But we are conditioned that older people fall or that older people are incontinent. So when I when I think about that for myself, I think if if 50 percent of people who attend an ED who are older become incontinent, well, that's either me or you. It's not going to be me. Do you want it to be you? So you don't. So no. right, let's let's change how we look at these things. And and it's those really important snippets. And if that's the only thing someone comes away from the whole day with is that incontinence isn't normal. And I'm yeah. not going to be putting someone over 70 in a pad just because they're 70. Yeah. Then yeah, then that's the game is won already. And it's actually it's a really interesting because they're delivered with a mixture of community, acute rehab, you could have people you would never meet or people you've only heard of by email. Mm. It's actually a really interesting mix of, you really do education in your local area with different teams, like it's normally inside your hospital, inside their clinic. Um, so it, even that part of it, I think is really, and then it's multidisciplinary within it. Mm. So it is, it's a, it's a, it's a great service. And as someone said to me recently who went to it, like, and it was free, a whole day of good education for free which you don't often get. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, that's that's the thing. But it, as again, as I always say, and I've said it, and even, I've written it in the report, that the success of the Frailty Education Programme is down to the dynamism of the facilitators because you can write an education programme that could sit on the shelf and it could be boring, but mm-hmm. actually people have fun when they attend the Frailty Education Programme uh, and they should have fun because you learn so much more when you're relaxed and um and chatting and sharing stories and you just mentioned so you did have a big report come out there in may i think was it may or june yes we had a big launch in the mansion house yeah i went to the ball all a very high class venue but and i suppose what was in that report i'll put a link to it at the bottom of this episode as well when i want to have a read yeah, so we've had over 4,000 people attend um, and they have rated it 7.8 out of 8 as in improving their education. Um, nice. Little things that have fed back. So what we've done with the with the education program evaluation is two things. It allows the facilitator to get a critique on how, they, mm-hmm. how they've delivered it. So it allows the facilitator to learn to grow in their facilitation skills. And also then it can feed back for QI initiatives. So what are you going to start doing? What are you going to stop doing? What are you mm-hmm. going to t- tell others? And um, in relationship to the what are you going to, to stop and start doing, what people have said is I'm going to stop agreeing to inappropriate bed moves. And we know that a bed move in an acute hospital can add two days to length of stay. So if people and people can have up to eight bed moves in a, in mm-hmm. a hospital stay. So we're already putting our frail older people who are at risk, at greater risk, and someone else had said, I'll recognize that staff's fear of falls impacts and exacerbates the fear of falling and in, in one of my patients. And I'm going to stop that. So, I mean, those tiny even nuggets are I realize incontinence yeah. is not normal. Those nuggets are going to change how those people care for the older person they meet next. And that in itself is going to enhance the outcomes for those older people. So just even those nuggets are phen- phenomenal and they're really, really positive. Mm-hmm. And what's next with the National Frailty Education Programme? Obviously, I see you are 
continue to expand your facilitators network and yeah yeah so yeah so we're doing that we're we're as more people are hearing about it they're asking can they come on as facilitators and absolutely if they're working in the area and they have a skill set to bring to it we're delighted to have them we are going to be looking at developing the comprehensive geriatric assessment element of it into more of a workshop piece Mm -hmm. so that it can be really really solid and then we're going to be looking towards simulated education Mm. so we'll be having sims and uh, bringing people to to simulation um, workshops for people so when we talk about frailty we talk about everybody what everybody should know yeah. what some should know and what few should know and so we're moving into the what some and few should know now because even in sims we realize that people are still have that anxiety around the siloed education and will i look stupid in front of this profession if i yeah. ta- if i ask that question so we want to get rid of that fear so that people really break down the barriers and learn how to work together and that the patient is at the center so that I, you lose the fear and you relax into your learning mm-hmm. and that your work day is more about learning because you're not feeling foolish asking the question that that you might have previously before good you have an answer for all my questions <laughs> very well uh so uh just looking at from a practical perspective all these examples are basically hugely scaled up quality improvement or education Mm. or like audit like you have pre-post data you have a reason for change you do the change and i suppose the scale you're doing it at is national and humongous but just for anyone working in healthcare research whatever it is have you any tips on how to, it's often about how to actually get change over the line and you seem to have a great way if people rally behind you and go along with your energy would be, well, that would be my experience of following you is that there's a good buzz and it makes sense. But have you any tips for people who are trying to bring even a small change into practice and how you overcome the challenges? Yeah, so my biggest tip is don't be wedded to the outcome um, mm-hmm. because I don't know everything, actually quite, probably know quite a little about things until I start working with them. And I don't know what the answer is going to look like. But I do know if I have the right people in the room that together we'll come to the right answer. So it Mm -hmm. mightn't have been what I thought it was. And I need to be open and have no ego. And people need to know that they can challenge me and that they, there's no such thing as a stupid question. So Mm -hmm. if if you can set that foundation that everybody's equal in the room everybody's contributes uh, the quiet person that you listen to them as well that you make sure they speak um uh, and that you get everybody's ideas on board that you don't take offense to criticism that you just see mm. it as people's passion to get the right thing done when people get in your way you work around them because you will always have people in your way yeah, yeah. and it's it's so there's a few reasons they might be in your way it could be because of finances or it could be because because not their priority or it's because they don't believe what you're doing or that you can't articulate that final vision of what it should be. But PDSA it. So I PDSA everything I plan, do, study, act. That's the quality improvement methodology. And that's what I do with mm-hmm. everything. And you fail forward. So if there's something happens, okay, so you just change how you do that. Who in the room has a suggestion? Um, and so that's, that's just how it works. Don't be wedded to the outcome and don't have an ego. Yeah. Not, uh, wise, I think pretty wise advice there. Um, I know we've kind of touched on get a sense of your general feeling about how older people are being treated or respected in Ireland. 
Um, I remember hearing, I think it was back in 2019 when we were the first WHO country to be age friendly because all of our um, county councils are uh, some way collectively were the first country rather than a pile of cities to be officially age friendly. Does that marry with your experience or perception of Ireland? Are we age friendly? I think we're improving. Um, like I was at the local coffee shop recently. Uh, they had an age friendly um, certificate up and it meant that, you know, easy access and stuff like that. Or is our health service age friendly? No. No. Our health service is based on the post-war model where you had one issue, you went into the ED, you got sorted, you went home and you were dead by 65, mostly. Mm -hmm. So now we have chronic complex conditions because we're growing older. So we're, we have more to to uh, get as we get older um, and cognitive impairment is just absolutely growing and dementias are growing and we really do not understand and we're more afraid of it and we are ultimately ageist. Mm -hmm. We're ageist from being young because from when we're young because it adverts the way the society speaks, jokes about being old and as I'm getting in older, um, and I'm 56 now and I'm looking at the world from, I suppose I'm not middle-aged, I'm more over middle-aged unless I live to the 100, which I might plan to do. Um, I'd but, say you, you'd be one of them <laughs> to meet the president. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I can see, so I would have friends now in their 80s who are afraid to go to hospital, who are afraid, who feel invisible, even if they go to their GP now, because health is so busy resources mm -hmm. are so scarce and time is just not a commodity anymore people just don't have time so if you're vulnerable and afraid then it's just not the place to be so we do have an awful lot of really good stuff going on we have our frailty at the front door we're looking at increasing rehabilitation we're looking at mm -hmm. increasing home care hours but do we have the staff to meet those not yet but yeah. the vision is there so um, we have a long way to go and uh, that's where I'm going to keep on plodding on as will you and everybody else in the IGS. <laughs> Great. And a final, well, second last, finally, nearly finally. I think I asked Rosanne Kenny this when I talked to her. If you were president or Taoiseach, whatever office you wanted to have, what would be the one big sweeping change you would make in Ireland? And ideally related to something to do with older people. Or you can make an art change that's unrelated. I think she went, I think Rosanne Kenny went for education, I think, as a for aging, but I can't remember. I think I would actually, as Rosanne Kenny's been mentioned, I think I would talk start talking to people in their twenties about aging well. Mm. And I think I'd start younger about you know, the role of exercise isn't just to have a sexy body. Yeah. You know, that the role of nutrition isn't just to be size 10. Um, that, uh, you know, your your skin is important, don't get sunburned. But mm -hmm. all of and your so your nutrition, your exercise, your what you do with your mind, um, all of those different things so that we can age well. Um, mm -hmm. And therefore, if we're aging well, we reduce ageism. If we're aging well, then we don't need as much health care. If we're aging well, we've better quality of life and less um, less unhealthy life years. So something, yeah, I suppose it's along those same lines, but I'd get Roseanne Kenny's brain and I would just deposit it on everybody and <laughs> make 
make well, them all go to Tilda for the day. And... I'll, do a, I'll do a hyperlink to Razan's interview in this interview so we can see whatever she answered. Vivid yeah, because her book, line. yeah, yeah, her book Age Proof is just like it's just the Bible. Yeah, so uh, alongside your Bible or Quran or whatever you're reading, take out your age proof and uh, and ensure that you're looking after your body as well, because it is a gift and we do abuse our poor bodies quite a lot. And then you expect that your biological and chronological age are going to be the same. No, mm-hmm. not. So um, we need to we need to be better to ourselves. So you would be someone we'd identify, I think I mentioned to start as a leader in gerontology in Ireland. You're very kind. Uh, I suppose, have you any tips for people who either professionally or maybe through passion want to steer their career towards being in a more of a leadership role? Um, I suppose getting into that point where you can actually impact policy and planning and steering. Um, Just have you any tips on how to get to where you've gotten to at this point? Yeah, so start off with being the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. wherever it is that you work so if that's on a ward or if it's in a unit or rehabilitation or in the community or in a residential care setting in a clinic so you see something that needs to change then you be the the person who starts that change um, and then that just brings opportunities because you meet people so you don't do change on your own so you mm-hmm. need to meet with people and you might meet people outside of where you normally work and get connected with those um, and and so for me, I network all the time. I make sure that I am out listening, hearing, relating and absorbing what people are saying um, mm-hmm. and getting to know people so that if I have a piece of work to do, I'll know someone or else they'll know someone the, the Irish way yeah. who, who would be able to bring expertise to that. So if you're making change where you are, um, and someone needs to do to be working in that area, they'll hear your name mm-hmm. and they may invite you then to work at something at a higher level. And then your expertise grows in that and you then you continue to do that. But be the change you want to be where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And that will lead you on. Brilliant. OK, I was going to ask, I was going to say, do you have any questions? But more so, I just want to say thank you on behalf of the IGS and our podcast, because it's no easy experience coming on and talking. And you've been a very gracious guest, full of wisdom. Uh, I don't know, unless you have anything else to add or anything you want to plug or highlight or direct people to. Uh, no, uh, I yeah, just everybody has to do the frailty education program, please, um, because that'll make a difference to how our older people are cared for and how you would be cared for when mm-hmm. you're an older person, because I'm sure you're planning on being that yourselves. Um, and thank you for listening. And uh, thanks for the the lovely experience, Adele, and for the, um, the title of leader. <laughs> which I'm not sure I deserve, but <laughs> thank I you. I, I don't work any day in my life because I'm do- doing what I love, you see. Obviously, that's goals. Yeah, goals. That is the goals. Okay, well, thank you so much, Deirdre, and thanks for having, for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you.